Welcome to the Switch Leader Podcast, where we decide today the leader we will be tomorrow. Hey, friends, welcome back to the Switch Leader Podcast. Excited about our conversation this week. My name is Josh Baldwin. I'll be your host, and I'm here with my good friend, James Meehan. James, I am so looking forward to this conversation. Thanks for hanging out with us again. Absolutely, Josh. I am also looking forward to it because I think it's a really important one. Yes, it is. So I know that each week we have a different conversation. We talk about different topics having to do with youth ministry, often about leadership. This week is going to look a little bit different because we are preparing you for a specific topic that will be about a specific message. Now, this message is optional. It will not necessarily play at every location, and the locations it does play at, it could play different weeks. And so what we're wanting to do is prepare you either way. Even if this message does not play at your location, it's a really, really important topic in youth ministry and in youth culture today. So we want you to be ready for it. The title of this message is The Idol of Sexuality. Now, we recognize that that can be a really hard conversation or topic, even for us as adults to talk about. And therefore, it's an even bigger and sometimes feels like an even more challenging topic for us to be talking to our students about. And it can even sometimes make us think, hey, maybe... Maybe we just avoid this conversation. Like Maybe we just don't even talk about it because it's hard and we just don't want to have this conversation. But in reality, our students right now are growing up in a culture that is genuinely pointing them to the idol of sexuality. This is one of the greatest struggles that they are facing right now. And we know that it is our responsibility to stand in the gap, stand alongside them and point them toward the truth. And so that's exactly what we're planning to do. But We want to prepare you as leaders for that conversation. So James, I'm looking forward to getting to hear some of the data around this and then also just the vision behind this message and how we're going to set our students up, how we're going to prepare our leaders. I'm going to hand it off to you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Josh. So what's going to happen today in this episode of the podcast is we're going to walk through three different sections. We're going to start by looking at just the data around teenagers and their views on sexuality, gender, marriage, and some of those things, just to paint a picture of what reality is. Now, because you're serving in Switch, this probably isn't news to you. You've probably seen it, you've heard it, you've you've felt it in your Switch group. But I think this is important for us to recognize just how important this conversation really is. Then what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the theology of why we believe what we believe as a church based on the words of Jesus. And then we're going to close out by talking about how we should approach those students who have questions about sexuality, who disagree with us about sexuality, because every single step of the way, we want to make sure that we love and lead with grace and truth. And so if we're going to bring truth, let's do it with grace. So starting with the data, I'm just going to share with you all some statistics from Barna and One Hope, two different surveying organizations that do an incredible job of helping us as church leaders figure out what is happening in the generations we are trying to reach. Barna found that one in four Gen Zers agree with the statement that what is morally right and wrong changes over time based on society. That means 25% or more of young people do not believe that morality is an absolute objective truth. They believe that it is subject to change based off of cultural standards and norms. 
That's important because that leads into everything else we're going to talk about. According to lots of different research, not just Barna and One Hope, the rate of young people who identify as LGBTQ plus is rising while older generations are remaining the same. Because what a lot of people are speculating is that so many of these people who are identifying as a part of that community are doing so because of peer pressure. They're doing so because they are searching for a place to belong, a way to identify themselves, and they are finding that in their sexuality. As a matter of fact, there were two different young people who were interviewed about this idea, and they said that people question their gender because it's popular. Another teenager said, it's almost worshipped. If you are transgender or struggling with this, it's cool. According to One Hope's recent research, 27% of U.S. teens said they have felt sexually attracted to someone of the same gender within the past three months. That's more than a fourth. About 50% of teens believe gender is something determined by an individual's feelings or their sexual attractions. 55% of U.S. teens believe that marriage is not exclusively between a man and a woman. Only one in 12 Christian teams, don't miss this, only one in 12 Christian teams want to come to the church, their pastor, or their Bible when they have questions about big topics. Why? Man. Because they don't think we have the answers. So because of all of that, what we have recognized within Switch, and this isn't just for like Switch leaders, this is also for us as youth pastors, is that people typically fall into one of three categories. The first category are those who do not know the answers to questions around sexuality and are ill-equipped on how to engage wisely in those conversations. Then the second category are those who are confident, but they are not competent <laughs> in engaging in these conversations. And as a result, oftentimes they end up causing more harm than good. There is a third category of leaders. And unfortunately, this is the rarest category. And these are those leaders who are confident and skillful enough, confident enough in what's true, skillful enough in how they approach the conversation to navigate it well. Our hope is that by the end of this podcast, you would move from category one or two, whichever one you happen to be in, to category three, so that you would be a leader who is confident and skillful enough to navigate these conversations wisely. Make sure you keep listening to the end of this podcast because we're going to walk through some really practical steps on how to navigate these conversations well. But before we get there, we've got to cover the basis. That's why we're starting with the data and we're about to move into the theology. Before we do that, Josh, talk to us, your experience as a youth pastor. What have you seen? How has that played out? And like, what about this makes you so passionate about the subject? Yeah, I mean, I'll start by saying this This podcast is obviously going to be a longer episode. You saw that at the beginning, and we're probably thinking, why the crap is this episode so long? <laughs> right. Uh, I'll say this. If, if you don't listen to this episode in its entirety, you are not prepared. This is a week where we really, we recognize it's longer. We recognize it, and it's going to take more of your time. You need to be prepared. You need to do right by your students, and that means that you need to listen to this whole episode so you're ready. As a youth pastor, hearing a lot of what you just said, I have watched that play out so many times over the last few years, especially the last few years. I've been doing youth ministry for 12 years, and I can tell you that the conversations have changed dramatically in that time, and really the greatest amount of change coming in just the last few years. 
I had a conversation with a student two weeks ago who has struggled with her sexuality for years. And we have had many conversations over the course of that time. And I've noticed some pretty significant changes in her. She was a very sad kid. So I've always been intentional to reach out to her. Over the last couple of months, I've just noticed more of a smile on her face, more light come to her eyes. She's started dressing differently again and just been a little bit more of herself. And I said, hey, you seem a little different. What's, what's going on? And she said, I think for a long time, I was trying really, really hard to find my identity in something that wasn't God. Hmm. And wow. she said, like, I believed in God, but I was just looking for my identity to be in something else. And I realized that I was just never going to find it. And this is a kid that genuinely was looking for her identity in her sexuality. And for years, searched and searched and searched, was hurt and broken and confused and I'm telling you, she never found it and never was going to right. until she realized the only place she was going to find it. And it's really, really sad that she was in a world that was saying, I promise if you will keep looking here, this is where you can find it. And what you're saying about it being ce celebrated, that's just that's not just something that you're saying. You've heard a couple of students say, you, I know that you said a student said this, another student said that. I can tell you that separated from those conversations, I have had many conversations with students that said the exact same thing to me. And we're not right. talking about the same kids right. who said, man, this is glorified. Right. You are popular if you say that you are the opposite sexual identity or orientation than you are. It's a big deal. And people people think that you're cool. And, and gosh, it speaks a lot to the culture that we're in right now. But I can say that to just say, Yes, this is what the data says. I know that some people are like, well, statistics can be skewed. Yes, they can be. I've been doing this for 12 years. I have a lot of conversations over the course of that time. And I can just tell you that this matches what I am experiencing in real time at a church in a local community. This is what students are saying. 100%. The idol of sexuality is so dangerous because it promises that real happiness will be found in the unhindered pursuit and the unfiltered expression of our sexual desires. But that promise is a lie. And we see that over and over again in our world today, that when you make sexuality, your sexual desires, your God, the end result is not happiness, but it's disappointment and frustration. That's why in this week's message, The Idol of Sexuality, the main idea is that idols always promise more than they deliver but God always delivers on his promises. And so what we're gonna do is we are going to point our students to the truth that God brings to the table. In John chapter eight, verses 31 and 32, Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. God always delivers on his promises. When we hold to his truth, we will know it and it will set us free. So what we're going to do is walk through what we believe as a church about sex, gender, marriage, what it means to be human. And we're going to walk through it in four sections, four questions that are the same four sections and questions that will play in the message this week. First, we're going to answer the question, why does it matter what I do with my body? Second, we're going to answer the question, what is marriage? Third, we're going to answer the question, why do we want things the Bible says are bad? And fourth, we're going to answer the question, what if... I don't fit into the typical mold when it comes to my sexuality. 
And to answer all of these questions, we are going straight to Jesus in a passage of scripture found in Matthew chapter 19. And in this passage of scripture, Jesus answers all of the biggest questions about sex and marriage. He doesn't answer every question, but he answers all of the biggest questions that lay the foundation for us to be able to confidently and compassionately figure out where to go from there. So I'm gonna start reading in Matthew chapter 19, verses three and four, where we've got some Pharisees come to Jesus to test him. They ask the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Jesus replies, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female? Before Jesus answers their question, he reminds them the very basics of what it means to be human. He's quoting from Genesis chapter one, where in verse 27, we read that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So why does it matter what I do with my body? The answer Jesus gives is because we are all made in the image of God. And because we're all made in the image of God, that means that we are valuable. That means we are loved. That means that we have a purpose. No matter our race, age, gender, location, or even our sexuality, all of us as human beings are made in the image of God. Now, here's what's important to notice though. According to Jesus and Genesis, God created us in his image as male and female. That means that our bodies are not an afterthought or an accident. Our bodies are an essential part of what makes us, us. Now at this point, people often ask the question or make the statement, okay, sure, like back then when the Bible was written, yeah, people thought there were only two genders, but we know better now. And, and while it's probably true that a lot of us know more now than a lot of people did back then, do we really think we know more now than Jesus did then? Because Jesus is right. the one telling us that God created us as male and female. We are all made in the image of God. The thing that is so tragic is there are so many young people who have such a lowered view of their bodies because of what our culture teaches about sex and sexuality. They think that their bodies are the problem rather than seeing them as a gift, a work of art. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, we are God's masterpiece. We are created anew in Christ Jesus. That means in the eyes of God, our students are works of art. They're handcrafted by their creator with love and intention poured into every single detail. This is why it matters what we do with our bodies, because our bodies matter. This is, ma this is why it matters what we do with our sexuality, because we matter. God cares about these things because God cares about us. So that's the foundational starting point about everything that relates to being human, and especially the conversation around sexuality, gender, and marriage, that it matters what we do because we're made in the image of God. James, you said a couple things that I've heard students say a lot. Maybe the centerpiece of this conversation is what you talked about with our physical bodies, the way that God valued our physical bodies. Our students are growing up in a world that does not value their physical bodies. That is very, very clear. It's just not a big value. And even as young Christians, I think that our students think a lot about their, their gifts that God gave them and you know, things that he made them really good at. And they think about, you know, spiritual depth and they think about um, their personalities. And I don't think that they spend a lot of time thinking about the fact 
that he loved them so much that he made them to look like him, that he actually made them in his image. And so that's something that should continually be something we're reminding students, regardless of what you think or the value that you place on your physical body, I need for you to know when God created your physical body, he cared very much about it. Right. And I think the other thing that I don't want anyone to miss here is when it comes to being made in the image of God, absolutely, that relates to the question of sexuality and gender because we're made male and female. But even more fundamental than that, being made in the image of God means that we are loved, we are valuable, and we have a purpose. That God cared about us so much that he saw us as worth dying for. And this is a huge part of what makes the good news such good news, is that God from the beginning saw us as worth creating, worth giving a purpose to, and eventually, even after we messed it all up, worth dying for. And so even though there are a lot of bad ideas out there that our students have believed, one of the most powerful things you can do as a switch leader is remind them that no matter how they choose to identify or don't, no matter what the culture says about their body and how unimportant it is, that God loves them to the very core of who they are. He sees past all of the mess on the outside to who we are on the inside. And what that allows you to do is bring life and goodness and beauty before we get into the, let's talk about the mess, <laughs> right? Like before yep. we get into the, all right, now we need to correct the bad ideas. We start with the fact that you're loved, you're valuable, you're created by God for a purpose. Now, yep. if we continue on in this passage of scripture, we're going to pick back up in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4 again, and then we'll read through verse 6. And here, we're going to hear the answer to the question, what is marriage? So in verse 4, Jesus says, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made the male and female? And he said that for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So in these verses, Jesus, once again, quoting from Genesis, defines for us what marriage is. And this is a essential question in the conversation around sex and sexuality. Because what our culture likes to push is the idea that marriage is just a civil contract between two consenting adults. And if that's true, then most everything else we say about the sexual ethics of Christianity don't apply. But that's not the Christian view of marriage. The Christian view of marriage, what we just heard from Jesus, is that marriage is a lifelong covenant between one man and one woman before God. Marriage is a union of difference. It is a union of two sexually different people who become one in the covenant of marriage. This is essential because marriage exists for three primary reasons, two of which can only happen in a male and female relationship. So those three purposes of marriage, the first is relationship, the second is reproduction, and the third is reflection. Relationship, that's the one that actually marriage does serve that purpose, but it's not the only way that purpose is meant to be served. We're meant to have relationship with other people, regardless of the sex, through godly friendship. We're meant to have relationship with God, like, like family relationships. There's all sorts of relationships. So marriage serves that purpose. 
but it's not the only thing that does. But those other two purposes are only served in this way by marriage. Reproduction, that's making babies. I don't need to explain that. The third one though, reflection, is really important and it's going to take a little bit more time to unpack because marriage reflects the union of difference that is found in the very nature of God. Here's what I mean by that. God is three different persons, the Father, Son, and Spirit, who are united as one being. Marriage reflects that union of difference because it is the union of two sexually different people who become one in marriage. Marriage reflects the union of difference that defines God's relationship with his people. He's God, we are not, (laughs) right? But he still chooses to join himself to us. He becomes our God and we become his people. And over and over again throughout the Bible, the marriage imagery is used to explain the type of relationship that God has with his people. This shows up in Ephesians chapter five when the apostle Paul says that a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two are united into one. He says that this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration. It is a reflection of the way Christ and the church are one. Marriage is a union of difference. It is a lifelong covenant between one man and one woman before God. This is so important because when we understand what marriage is, we can then understand what sexual integrity and what sexual immorality are. So sexual integrity is sexual activity reserved for the union of marriage. This is why we believe that things like pornography, sex outside of marriage, regardless if they're the opposite or the same gender as you, doesn't matter. If there is sex outside of marriage, that is sinful. Things like sexual harassment, sexual violence, like the objectification of other people, like there's all sorts of things. Lust, where we choose to view someone else as an object for our desires rather than a person to be loved. All of those are trying to express our sexual desires outside of the one man, one woman union of marriage. And all of those get called the sin of sexual immorality in the Bible. Sexual immorality is sexual activity that happens outside of marriage. And that's why as followers of Jesus, we believe that marriage is meant to be between a man and a woman because that's how Jesus defines it. And anything outside of marriage is repeatedly referred to throughout the Bible as sexual immorality. I think too, as we're having conversations about this, hopefully between leaders and students, I want to remind you, it's really, really important that your posture is not to convince a student of anything. Right. It's not to try to get them to believe what you believe, and it's dang sure not to argue with them. So we need to make sure that your posture is in love. Something that I think is a really important thing for us to do anytime, well, really with anyone we care about is ask questions. Yeah. When I'm having conversations, trying to help a student who's struggling with this exact thing, I ask lots of questions because you want to make sure that they know you really do care for them. So make sure that you're postured in a place that's healthy and loving to your students. Don't try to pull them in your direction. Try to point them in Christ's direction. 100%. Everything that we're sharing with you right now in this theology section is so that you can be aware of the content we will be covering in the message, not so that you can repeat this message in your small group. Like That is not at all on you. We don't want you to feel like you need to carry that weight. And as a matter of fact, it would not be helpful for moving your students closer to Jesus if you're just preaching again what's already being taught from the stage. The best thing you can do is be aware 
of what's coming so that you can prepare your heart for pastoring your students well. Because the truth is like preaching truth from a distance is so much easier than loving people up close. Yep. And, and I get that. And so for some of you, the job you're going to have to do to love and pastor your students closer to Jesus as they are wrestling with what we believe the Bible teaches and that being in contrast with probably what they've been told their entire lives, like, like that's going to be where the real work shows up. And so go ahead. And I think that also it's important, you may have students that walk away regardless of how this message is communicated. You may have students that, that walk away from this and get to small group and they're hurt or they're frustrated. And if that's the case, I don't, I actually don't think that will be most. But for those that that's the case, it's important, I think, for you to be able to communicate, hey, that guy that just communicated that message, I've actually heard him talk about this topic in great detail. And I promise you that if he was sitting in front of you right now, he would love you. That it, that it wouldn't actually matter what it is that you believe or what it is you're dealing with. He would love you because he knows Jesus would love you. 100%. And what he just shared was was just him sharing the truth. It was him sharing Christ's beliefs for us. And I think that that's important, not because we want to make sure to back up the person that communicated it, but because we want to make sure that that student feels that they can trust the person that was communicating this truth. And so that could be a place you find yourself in. But again, we don't want you to re-preach the message. We just want you to be able to show up on Wednesday night and not go, hey, guys, why didn't you tell me this was coming? So that's <laughs> that's why we're having this conversation right now. 100%. And what's beautiful about everything that you're saying there, Josh, is I think what helps us in these conversations is remembering that we are all united as human beings made in the image of God. That's really awesome. What's not quite so awesome is that we're also all united as broken human beings infected by the disease of sin, which brings us to the next question that Jesus is going to answer in this passage of scripture. So we've talked about why does it matter what we do with our bodies? We've talked about what marriage is. Now we're going to look at the question, why do we want things the Bible says are bad? And the answer that Jesus is going to give is that sin has corrupted our desires. Sin has corrupted our desires. Picking up in that same passage of scripture, Matthew chapter 19, verses seven and eight, Jesus has asked the question, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. Here, Jesus is alluding to the fall, the event when human beings rebelled against God sin, death, evil, and suffering invaded the world. And all of us were infected by a disease of selfishness called sin, a disease that tempts us to disobey God and take advantage of others to benefit ourselves. And this disease has corrupted every single aspect of creation. The world we inhabit, the bodies we exist in, the desires that we have, have been corrupted by sin. And this is important because a question that often comes up in this subject is, if God doesn't want me to do this thing, if God doesn't want me to pursue these desires, then why would he give me these desires? And this is a really fair question. And also it applies to things so far beyond just sexuality. Like 
if you're leading a switch group and you're a human being in relationship with other human beings, there will probably be times where people have desires to do things that are not in alignment with God's best for their life. And they will try to justify their actions because of their desires. But here's what's important to remember is that yes, we are made in the image of God, but it is also true that we've been infected by sin and that has corrupted our desires to the point that now we often want things and do things that are not good. James 1 chapter 13 or James chapter 1 verses 13 and 16. He says, "Remember, when you are being tempted, do not say that God is tempting me. God's never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else." Listen to this. Verse 14, temptation comes from our own desires, these desires that have been corrupted by sin, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. God is never the one tempting us to sin. Temptation comes from our own sin-infected desires. And when we act on those desires, when we try to satisfy those desires on our terms instead of God's, when we attempt to satisfy our sexual desires outside of the covenant of marriage, we are committing the sin of sexual immorality. It's what we've talked about earlier. And and I want to make sure that this is very clear, that sexual immorality is not just homosexuality and transgenderism. It is not just that. It is pornography, it is lust, it is sexual harassment, it is any action we take that dehumanizes another person in service of our sexual desires. None of us are immune to that. All of us have had our desires infected by sin. And while that sucks, it also helps us establish common ground with our students. Because if we sit on our high horse of we're better than them because our sin is different than theirs, then we are totally missing the heart of Jesus. And we are totally missing an opportunity to meet our students in their pain with mercy and call them to more with truth. Sinful actions always produce death. But here's the really good news that we must never forget that our God is in the business of bringing dead things back to life. I want to remind you too, James is pointing out sinful sinful sexuality is not just homosexuality and and kind of this conversation we're having. And so you, again, you might find yourself saying, then why are we focusing on this? We're focusing on this because it is the greatest attack happening on our generation of students. The same reason that, that we would focus on maybe something different for you as an adult, not because it's less important or more important, because, but because we have to recognize where the enemy's attacking, and right now, this is where he's attacking. Right. And so we have to stand with our students. I think it'd be really healthy for you as a leader, as a human being, to think about whatever those desires might be for you yes. or what they have been in the past. That so you can look and say, hey, my sexual desires weren't homosexuality. It wasn't that I struggled with my gender identity, but man, did I definitely struggle with sin. Yeah. Because I promise you, like James said, you did. And it would be healthy for you just because it will help you be in a perspective of grace to think about when and where you have been there yourself. 100%. Uh, especially going into a week like this. Right. And In this message, I don't only refer to homosexuality and transgenderism. I talk about all sorts of sexual sins. I talk about my sexual past of brokenness with pornography and other things. I talk about me confessing that to my wife, Mandy, before we got married and how difficult 
but healing that was. And so if you're listening to this podcast and you realize that there's some sexual sins happening in your life right now that you've never actually confessed to someone else, maybe now's the time to do that so that when you show up to Wednesday, you can lead your students by example and not, you know, do what the hypocrites do where they preach one thing, but practice another. In the fourth and final section of this passage of scripture in Matthew 19, Jesus is going to answer the question, what if we don't fit into the typical mold when it comes to our sexuality? And the answer he's going to give is that marriage isn't for everyone. In verses 10, 11, the disciples hearing everything Jesus has said, say, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. And Jesus replies by saying, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. He's saying marriage is not for everyone. Like marriage is a really good thing. It is set up by God, but it's not for everyone. And if you're not convinced by that statement, let me remind you of a guy named Jesus who was single and celibate for his entire life. Let me remind you of the apostle Paul, who was also single and celibate. Now, some people think that he was married at one time, but then his wife either passed away or left him when he became a Christian. Not everybody's clear on that, but everybody is clear that during his ministry, Paul was single and celibate. So the two most influential people in the history of Christianity were single and celibate. Marriage isn't for everyone. It's a good thing, but it's not for everyone. And to make this even more clear, Jesus paints a vivid picture by talking about eunuchs. Here's what he says in verse 12. He says that there are eunuchs who were born that way. There are eunuchs who have been made that way by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept this. So a little bit of background for you. We're gonna nerd out for just a second, but it's important. A eunuch in the ancient world was somebody who could not have sexual intercourse because either they were born with a birth defect Those were those who were born that way. Or they had their genitals removed. Those were the ones that Jesus referred to as having been made that way by others. But then Jesus adds this third category of people. He talks about people who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about people like himself and the apostle Paul who choose to live without having sex. They live single and celibate for the sake of of the gospel so they can focus their lives on the work of ministry. And here's why this is important. Because there are students in our ministry whose sexual desires, whose sexual orientation do not line up with the Christian sexual ethic, but there is space in the kingdom of God for them. What God is calling them to do is to choose to live like eunuchs. And that is a ridiculous ridiculously huge sacrifice. Like if you are married, you understand how significant of a part of your life that is. And for those people who maybe have sexual desires that don't line up with a Christian view of marriage, to faithfully follow Jesus, they're having to sacrifice something that most of us could not imagine living without. And we can never take for granted those who have made that sacrifice and those who will make that sacrifice because it's a really big deal. And what is so, so amazing is that when people choose to give up something that big, they are becoming a signpost. Their life 
like the life of Jesus, starts pointing to the day when Jesus returns, when heaven and earth are one, when all things are made new and all of our desires that have been corrupted by sin are fully renewed, fully restored, and fully satisfied in him. So why does it matter what we do with our bodies? It matters because we're made in the image of God. What is marriage? Marriage is a union of difference. We believe that it is a lifelong covenant between one man and one woman before God. Why do we want things the Bible says are bad? Because our desires have been corrupted by sin. And finally, what do we do if our sexual desires, if our sexuality doesn't fit into the typical mold? Well, what Jesus tells us is that marriage isn't for everyone. And for those people, they can choose to live like he did for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. In a culture that glorifies sexuality and and also kind of glorifies relationships, I think sometimes we just totally forget that Jesus was single. I, I mean, <laughs> right. I honestly, I think right. I think people people point to Paul so much that they forget that hey, Paul's a great example, but he's far from the greatest, and J- Jesus did it himself. I mentioned earlier. I want you to think about what makes you human, the parts of you that have been impure, the parts of you that you've had those sinful desires, because it will help you uh, have more grace going into this conversation. But I don't ever want you to try to compare your situation to that of somebody that's, that's dealing with this. Because like James said, the level of sacrifice that a person would have to commit to, to say, hey, because of, of my feelings or because of my sexual orientation, I am going to live like a eunuch. I am going to not pursue a relationship that would dishonor God. And there are some students who to honor Christ will be called to do that. And for us to try to put ourselves in a position that we're like comparing can be really dangerous and hurtful. So we need right. to make sure that we're not doing that. 100%. And again, All of that that we just covered, like the bulk of this podcast is so that you can be aware, so that you can be prepared. The the win is not for you to repeat everything that we've said. The win is to be aware that in Matthew 19, Jesus answers the biggest questions. The win is to be aware that that's what we're going to talk about in the message. And I am going to do my best to do it as graciously and compassionately as I possibly can. And then it becomes your turn. So now what we're going to do as we close out this podcast in the last few minutes is talk through how we can love and lead members of the LGBTQ plus community with grace and truth. The place that we start is the same play we, we start with everything. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the entire law and the prophets. So we start by loving them the way we would want someone to love us if we were in their situation. So what I'm going to do is walk through seven ideas, seven steps. And the truth is you're not going to remember all of it, but most of it is pretty simple and applies to everything you probably already do as a switch leader. The first thing is we see them as human beings made in the image of God because we are all made in the image of God. The second thing, we acknowledge our own sinfulness and need for the grace and mercy of Jesus. Because if we enter into these conversations thinking we are better 
or more righteous or more holy, then we will screw it up every single time. Third, we commit to love them the same way we would want someone to love us. Fourth, we bring in our coach and our youth pastor to help us navigate the conversation with wisdom and care. Even if you're confident, even if you're skilled, still bring them in because we want to make sure that we do this wisely and carefully because this is a really personal and emotional topic. Fifth, we partner with their parents because that's what we would want someone to do if it was our kids. Now, that can be the most tricky part of all, especially if their parents don't believe what we believe as a church. But it is necessary because we know that those parents are the most influential person in the lives of their kid. And we never want to create a wedge between a kid and their parents. And so we're going to partner with parents, even if it's difficult, especially if it's difficult. Sixth thing that we're going to do is we're going to show up persistently and patiently because that's exactly how God shows up for us. And finally, number seven, we pray for God to bless them, strengthen them, and reveal his love to them. This is how we love and lead with grace and truth. That student that I mentioned that dealt with gender identity and how she's finally come to this place recognizing really who she is and who she is. And I can tell you that 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 was a kid that I consistently, consistently and persistently pursued. Every time I saw her come through the doors of our church, I went to ask her how she was doing. And almost every time she tried to shrug me off because she didn't want to talk. And I wouldn't force her to talk, but every time I would ask her how her day was going. And every single time she would know that guy won't leave me alone. (laughs) That guy, regardless of the fact that I know he doesn't believe what I believe, he seems to really care about me. And now she seeks me out. Now, every time she comes in the doors of the church, she comes to give me a hug. Now because she knows that I cared about her regardless of what she believed and regardless of the way she was living. I still cared about her and loved her. It gave me a platform and influence. And for many of you, you have already built that. Many of you are small group leaders who have built a relationship with your students over the course of years, some for months, some just for weeks. But I promise you that in time, you will build relationships if you will keep showing up and it will give you the opportunity to find yourself in loving, caring conversations that will point them toward the truth. In the show notes of this episode will be the seven things that James just listed. And when you finish this episode, I want you to go back to the show notes and screenshot those seven things. And as you roll into the parking lot on Wednesday night, I want you to reread those seven things and make sure that your heart and mind are aligned with the goal. Don't overthink it. Don't think that, oh my gosh, this is going to be a mess. There's going to be so much trouble tonight. Instead, I want you to be prayerful going into this week, believing that while the enemy is attacking our students, we are choosing to attack him and we are doing everything that we can to prepare them for the attacks that are just the reality of this life. And I want you to pray for them, that their hearts will receive it, that many of them who haven't wanted to receive it before will hear this message 
and connect with God in a way that they have not before this night. So know that prayer is big, prayer is powerful. God is so great. And regardless of how confused or scared or angry your students may be, he can reach them. And we are going to do everything that we can to be there ready to walk through this with them. James, as we wrap up, is there anything else that you'd like to share? We get to do something really special, loving and leading students closer to Jesus one step at a time. We love you guys. We love what we get to do. And thank you so much for listening to this episode. Thank you for being ready for Wednesday night. Now, to get the rest of the way ready is just to keep praying. Be prayed up. Send this episode to your fellow Switch leaders. Make sure every single one of them have listened to it and are prepared. We love you all. Thank you for joining us on the Switch Leader Podcast, where we decide today the leader we will be tomorrow. Oh, oh, oh.